morning. Can you hear me? Yeah, I'm on now. But, uh, yeah, I'd highly encourage you. I don't know who was more surprised, Stephen or me, when this guy dropped his trousers in front of us. <laughs> it's like, I had my boy Daniel with me. Don't look! <laughs> but, um, but yeah, some of the most exciting stuff happens out there on the, on the streets as we interact with um, people's lives. It's not part of my talk, but as we're talking about that kind of stuff. Uh, I was at Southampton um, Christian Union. We're running their kind of events, missions week this week, and they asked me if I could go and give them a hand. And um, I gave them Thursday, and they asked me to go and try to interact with the, uh, just the Muslims there. And I was trying to figure out how to get in because you're not allowed, you need to have a special card. I'm not a student anymore. I might look young, but I'm no longer a student. And uh, so I just started just greeting Muslims as they came in and out. And I saw somebody was sick, and I just said, hey, can I pray for you? And he said, yeah. He, had, you know, he described it as having influenza. I think that was kind of a bit of an exaggeration. But definitely had a cold and, uh, and cough. And I just prayed for him, and he was just instantly healed, and, um, which is not unusual with, with Muslims. And uh, he was just fascinated by the prayer. Because I think that's what hit him the most. Not so much that he got healed, but just the way that I kind of... He was wondering whether I'd made up the prayer or it was a prayer that was in the, the Bible. But the next person that came along is like, you should hear about how this guy prays for, prays for us. And so I'd encourage you, um, get out there. There's, there's, a, there's a world out there that is just seeking to encounter God, yet, but they don't really know how to do that. And, uh, and just to kind of step out and, and pray for people... I really echo what uh, Stephen shared. If you want to grow and develop, go and hang out with him. I was just standing there most of the time just trying to keep my mouth shut just because he was doing such an amazing job. And I was learning. And so uh, he's, he does such a good job of um, just walking with you if this is an area you want to grow in. Secondly, before I actually even get to my talk, uh, Nigel and Joe send their, their greetings. They're not here this morning. Um, you might have noticed or you haven't noticed. And... Um, they are actually down in Southampton. They are commissioning. Um, you might not be aware, but uh, Nigel and Joe have many, many di- um, different responsibilities. They're not just the, the pastors of this church. And one of their responsibilities is they oversee this kind of area and vineyard churches in what's called Central South. I won't bore you with the details, but that means they've got responsibility over a number of vineyards in this area. And that has its challenges, but also has its joys. And one of the joys today is they get to commission a new vineyard. Uh, one of the values in the vineyard is kind of church planting, because we really desire to see God's kingdom come and to impact people's lives in different cities, different towns, and different locations. And one of the easiest ways of doing that is to plant um, kind of communities of faith, to plant churches. So they're down in Southampton, releasing Duncan and Emma, um, I think it's going to be called Fornhill Estate Vineyard. I don't know what its formal title is, but that's what they're doing this morning. So uh, it's fantastic. They send their love. They send their greetings. Right, I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to carry on this series that we've been doing as a church, Emotionally Healthy Spiritual Individuals. God, I just thank you that you're here, and that's what matters. And God, we just say that we want to encounter you and meet you more deeply and more powerfully. We just open our hearts and our minds just to come and speak to us. God, we want to change. We want to be different. 
Lord, we thank you that you come with gentleness. We thank you you come with power. And as we place our hearts again in your hands, we just say, come and mold them and change them. Amen. If you've been, is it up? I can't see a fee now. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to have to keep turning around. If you've been, yeah, there's some handouts going around. Um, yeah, my apologies. They're not, they're not the best handouts I, I've given. My wife says I should apologize ahead of time. Uh, um, I kind of have dyslexia. And also, if you know anything about the church office, it's in chaos at the moment. And, um, and so my computer doesn't work. The printer hasn't been working. So I just like, when I got those five minutes, I just printed as fast as I could. Um, so I know some of you uh, just got that amazing ability um, when it comes to grammar that could quite easily tell me how many errors I have. Uh, look at the spirit rather than the grammar, shall I say, today. But uh, we've been doing, if you've been coming along for uh, any amount of weeks, the last few weeks, we've been doing this series, Emotionally Healthy and uh, Kind of Spiritual Individuals and also Church and uh, often when I, I speak, whether I speak at the beginning or at the end of a series, I just sometimes like just to kind of pause and just remind ourselves, why are we doing this series? It's not just because we think that this series is based on a book by a guy of the same name called Peter Cazero. I'm never sure how to pronounce his name. And um, it's not just because we think it's a, it's a great book. It's because as a church and as individuals, we want to grow in this area. You know, as I was reflecting on... You know, well, I'm going to be 46 actually on Tuesday. But as I was reflecting on my years in the, in the church, I've seen a kind of progression. Years ago, all they talked about in churches was just about the spiritual. And that's definitely important. More recently, there's been more talk about the physical. But it's just been in very recent years where churches have been talking about emotional. It's been amazing for people like myself and Nigel and Joe. And a number of people come along and say, you know, I've been in church all my life. But I've never heard anything taught like this on this subject. But we want to touch on it because it's important, because they all link together. They all flow. The, kind of the physical, the emotional, and the spiritual, they all link together. And they're all crucial if we are going to thrive as followers of Jesus. To use an illustration from a, a car, uh, if you know a car, it needs water, oil, and petrol, Yeah? I mean, I'm not very mechanical, but even I know that. <laughs> uh, whether I actually fill them up all the time, I'm not sure. I'm glad you, cars are better now. You don't have to fill them up so much. But you only, if you don't have one, it doesn't matter if my petrol tank is totally filled up. If I have no oil in my car, the engine's going to go bust. Yeah? You, you, you need all of them. And so as a church, as we're trying to leadership, take us on this journey, we want to make sure that all our kind of water, oil, and petrol are filled up. That's why we're looking at this um, series. And also because it really feeds into what's one of our kind of values and vision as a church. Again, my apologies if you're a guest today, but one of the things that we have in our vision statement is that as individuals and as a church, we want to lead our communities into life. And we can't lead our communities into life if we don't have life. Does that make sense? We can't give what we don't have. And so that's why I give you that quote from Iranius. I'm never sure how you pronounce his name. He was an early church father. And he said, the glory of God 
is man or woman made fully alive. And so we're doing this series because we want to be fully alive. We want to be fully alive to ourselves, for ourselves, but we owe it to our families, we owe it to the work colleagues, we owe it to our neighbours, we owe it to our community. Because if we want to lead them into life, we need to have life. And so we've been doing a whole array of, of talks, mainly Nigel, the last few weeks, and I'd encourage you, if you haven't heard them, to listen to them. They're all going to stand together, but they also stand by themselves as well. And today I'm talking what um, Peter Skoroa calls hitting the wall. Oh, i go backwards. Hitting the wall. Though he doesn't actually use this statement in the book, I'm very familiar with a phrase. I could have shown you a whole number of clips because hitting the wall is a phrase that's often used in marathon running. Uh, if my daughter Hannah was here, and she wouldn't want to stand up anyhow, with her kind of chemistry and biology A-level, she can give me all the, the mechanics, what actually happens in your body when you hit the wall. But if you've ever seen um, a marathon, uh, even kind of a professional Olympic marathon, but definitely more seen like London marathon, you'll see occasionally people hit the wall. It kind of normally happens like after 20 miles. And they're just going to lose it. Their legs go, sometimes their mind goes. And that's kind of the crucial stage in the sense of, are you going to complete the marathon or not? But we want, he's using this terminology because as followers of Jesus, as Peter Scarola says, at some point, every follower of Jesus at some point will hit a wall. Or the ancients or the early church used to talk about this phrase, the dark night of the soul. And the reason we're looking at it is, as a church, is because at some point, if you're a follower of Jesus, you will hit that wall. It will look differently to different people. And we want to talk about it because we want to offer hope and encouragement. And also to kind of give some type of roadmap that will help us to kind of move forward. Just to share from my life, and like I say, I will come back to this. But everybody's experience and what it looks like will be different. You might be able to give it the same label sometimes. But how it affects us and how we work it through will be different. So when I think about hitting the wall, I have two, two particular stages in my life that come to mind. Firstly, it was one in 1994, in uh, January 94. Roughly, I can nearly pin down the date. And at that point in time, as I followed Jesus, I'd say I was doing pretty well. You know, if I was quoting from the Bible, like Paul, I would say, you know, if you looked at the disciplines, if you looked about sharing Jesus, if you looked about how much time was I praying, how much time was I reading the Bible, I would probably be doing quite well. I was kind of at that stage in life where, you know, you'd quote me a verse, and I could probably tell you where it was. I mean, I mean, if it was something really obscure, I wouldn't do. But if it was a reasonably well-known verse. And I thought I was doing okay. And then I hit the wall. God began to take me apart. It got to the stage where I didn't know where a verse of the Bible was in the Bible. You could give me like a really well-known verse. I didn't know what it was. God just kind of took me apart. I kind of came to this stage and I realized... I could quite easily describe myself in the kind of the language of the New Testament. I was very kind of pharisaic. I was very arrogant. I was very proud. 
I thought I knew all the answers. I soon realized uh, I didn't. Uh, Nigel and Jerry know me from university, because we were at university together. And Jerry used to say that people were scared of me. <laughs> and uh, I can see why when I look back. I didn't at the time. And uh, I just started just to weep and cry. I probably never c- cried in my life up to that point that I was aware of, apart from a football match. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I support a certain football team, and uh, it kind of breaks my heart when they don't do well. And uh, and I used to just come. I, I'd wait to the last minute. I was the last person to come into church. I'd come in at the back, and as soon as the service finished, I was straight out. And this lasted for about a year. You know, I'd just be weeping and crying. I just, I was just, just broken. I realised that for all those years. My relationship with Jesus had been based on knowledge and not on intimacy. I knew all about Jesus, but I didn't really know Jesus. And, uh, and God totally changed me and uh, yeah, transformed me. A lot of who I am and what I am now came from that period of time. I will probably talk about this later. I, I'd say I still walk with a limp. It still affects me now. Occasionally, somebody would say to me, hey, Paul, somebody who knows me, particularly from the past, where's that, where's that verse in the Bible? And I'd go, you know what? If you asked me like 25 years ago, I'd better tell you. I can't tell you now. And uh, but you know what? I wouldn't swap it for the world. Because what I know of Jesus, and what I know of just hearing his sweet voice and the closest of him, I wouldn't swap for anything. And so that was something that happened to me in 94. The other example that kind of came into my mind was uh, in 2009. In 2009, November 2009, I can pretty much pin it down to the date. And um, I was in Egypt. Katie and I were in Egypt. At that time, we had all four of our children. To give the kind of technical language for it, I burnt myself out. I'd been sick for, physically sick for about a, a year, but it didn't kind of register with anybody else with my medical friends, that anything else might be happening. And then around November, it just, my world caved in. I just, uh, I remember uh, the few days before we, we left Egypt, I just wasn't sleeping. Katie will remember it really well. I just couldn't sleep. My mind, I mean, I'm always thinking. I'm a thinker, but my mind was just, I just couldn't control my, my thoughts were just bouncing around. I was just overwhelmed with thoughts. I just felt like, it was hard to explain, like an inner tension all the time. And uh, I rang up, because I was with Frontiers, and they have a, a doctrine call, and I rang them up. And uh, he said, I think I know what's happening to you. I think you're burning yourself out. You're burnt out. He says, do you want to, you can sort it out in Egypt, or you can come home. And I was like, I want to get home. I mean, I was just scared. You know, I... I I'm generally in control of what's happening in my mind. I was in control of what's happening in my body. But I was just scared what was happening to my body and what was happening to my mind. When I came back to the UK, maybe because I was back in the UK and finally I was in a safe place, it got worse. Um, and, um, you know, I had something, I think the worst thing that's ever happened in my, my life is something called night sweats. And, uh, and that was just awful. I can give you the details if you want later. And uh, I just couldn't sleep. And it was just, um, you know, I went to see the doctor. They gave me some medication. 
They told me to start running again, to start releasing endorphins in my body. And, uh, and it just kind of, I just hit the wall. And it affected me kind of in lots of different ways. It was the obvious physical aspects of it. There was also kind of the emotional and psychological aspects of it because here was Paul Phillips, you know, planted a number of churches in the UK, been sent out by UK vineyards. Here he was back in the UK, burnt out. And people, my friends and um, pastors were pretty much split. They didn't know what to do with me. You know, I remember going to last week, we had a national leaders conference, which is the main conference when we gather pastors from the vineyards. I remember going to that. I'd literally been back a month in the UK. And people kind of sheepishly came up to me. They'd kind of heard of what happened about me on the grapevine. And they didn't know what to say to me or do with me. Uh, a number of them came up to me and went, you know, we burnt ourselves out. We know what it's like. It's amazing how many people had. But I was just, I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I've talked for years about how to kind of balance your life. Uh, and how to kind of live in that place of um, connection with God and living life in all its fullness. And here I was, I was fried. Ashamed, scared, thinking, will my, will my mind ever come back? Will I ever be normal again? You know, aware of the massive implications it had on my, my, my family. You know, for a number of months, I didn't go to a vineyard church. I was down here in the New Forest because I was seeing a good place to uh, recover. I knew all the vineyards around here. I'd been involved with most of the vineyards around here. But I kept my head low. just went to a local church. Because I, was, I was ashamed. And people didn't know what to do with me. And uh, my faith, my faith in God hadn't changed at all. But my faith and sense of expectation of God had just totally dropped. Uh, my, my hope just wasn't there. And, um, and God did a whole load of stuff. It took me probably, I normally say it took me like three or four months to recover physically from the effects of it. Uh, but it took God about another two and a half years to start putting some stuff in me about my identity and my worth and my value uh, and authority. And that took a, it took a long time. You know, it's when I look at that period of time, I look at that hitting the wall for about two, two and a half years. So, so those are just two kind of things that I might just come back to. Now, for you, hitting the wall might mean something completely different, but that's what it looked like for me. And it's something that you can't uh, avoid. If you want to follow Jesus, you want to become more like Jesus, at some point, you're going to hit a period of time like this. There's a famous Christian book on leadership called The Making of a Leader. It's written by somebody called Bobby Clinton. He works for the Fuller Institute of Leadership and in California, and he studied Bible characters, Joseph, Moses, David, Elijah, Peter, Paul. And he also just studied the lives of more recent famous Christians. And, uh, and he said that all of them, at some point in their life, faced a war, faced what one would call a dark night of the soul. We all go through it. The question is, how do we approach it? How do we cope within it? And how do we move on from it? So one of the first things is just to acknowledge, and this is a quote from the book. This is talking about hitting the wall. Failure to understand its natural results, its natural results in great results in great long-term pain and confusion. Receiving a gift of God in the wall, 
however, transforms our life forever. And I will share a little bit later on as we start to look at some of the things of moving out of the war, how I can look back on both these periods of time in my life, which were awful, and I can just see things which, you know, I often say, I wouldn't want to go through night sweats again. But if that was the only way I could get what I have now, I would do it. To learn what God wanted me to, to learn. And I'll share that about later. But each one of us is going to hit this. The question is what we're going to do. The Bible sometimes shares stories of people that got stuck. They hit a war and they never moved on. And there's some of the saddest stories in the Bible. You hear about the Israelites. He got stuck in the desert for 40 years. They just went around and around in circles. And it says a whole generation didn't enter into the promises of God. You know, my prayer for myself, my prayer for you guys, the prayers of church is that we would enter into the things of God. But at some points we will hit things and we need to be able to move through them. Judas Iscariot got stuck. He could not understand what Jesus was up to. He had a certain idea that Jesus... To be Jesus, to the Messiah, he would look a certain way and he'd act a certain way. And Jesus didn't fit that box and he just couldn't cope with it. Because sometimes hitting the wall is more kind of theological kind of concept where God doesn't fit into our box, into our concepts, what we think he should be like. And we can't cope with it. So we're going to go on this journey. I can see you're all excited. Who wants to come on this journey? If you're following Jesus, you're going to go on this, on, the, on this journey, just like the seasons of life. Both Peter in his book and Bob in his book point out that on every level of life, we're going on a journey of maturity. And one can't take shortcuts. You can speed sometimes things up, you can work with God, but you'll go through it. The most obvious way we see this is just in development. You know, you have a baby and then they become a toddler and then become a teenager and then hopefully they'll become a mature adult. We see that in the physical. In the same way, on the spiritual and emotional, we go on a journey. We go through seasons of life. And at any stage, we can get stuck. And it doesn't mean if you're kind of moved on that you never go back. Just like winter always comes around. At different stages, as we kind of seek God, we will have different stages coming into our lives. And for some of you I'm speaking here today, it all feels like summer. For some of you, you might feel like you're starting to go into winter. For some of you, the, the, the verse I read this morning, I think is quite appropriate in the Songs of Solomon, where it says, Arise, my darling, the winter is gone, the spring has come. And I think that's at least for a few of you here, by the way. But whatever it is, you will come back to it. You know, I shared a couple of big instances. I could share smaller ones, but, you know, 1994, 2009. But it will happen. It happened in different ways. But normally when we hit the war, life gets turned upside down. And here's just a few examples. This is from the book, and you can add to them. He talks about divorce, job loss, cancer diagnosis, Disillusion with church, a church split, betrayal, a wayward child, a car accident, an inability to get pregnant, a deep desire to get married that remains unfulfilled, or just a general dryness, loss of joy in our relationship with God, or any 
type of disappointment can trigger hitting a wall that might last a little period of time or might last a longer period of time. And when we go through that, we begin to question God. We begin to question ourselves. And we kind of discover at that point in time, it feels like our faith just doesn't work. You know, I shared that in my, in my, my life. So when I was talking about 1994, the way, main way that I kind of connected with God were, was through the Bible. And I just, you know, I, I kept reading the Bible, but it just, it wasn't just, it wasn't scratching where it itched. Does that make sense? It was just, it wasn't there. That was the normal way I connected with God. And just like, I can't connect with God that way anymore. And I was part of the difficulty and the hardship. And then, you know, I've been in the vineyard a while then. So in 2009, you know, the main way, and still probably the main way I connect with God now is worship. But I just wasn't there. You know, I would kind of just put worship songs on and just lie on the ground. And years ago, I'd just, I'd just be overwhelmed by God's goodness and presence. And it's like, ah, oh, I could be here for ages. But just nothing was happening. And I was hard. And so we begin to question ourselves. We have more questions than answers. It's like, God, where are you here? What's your aim? What are you doing? Is it going to be like this forever? When can I get out of it? What do I do to get out of it? And it's hard. But that's why it's important to know why God does this. Because we don't understand that this is something that's going to happen in our lives. And if we don't understand what God's going to, going to do, we can end up getting stuck. Or we can end up just living in denial and saying everything's fine. I think uh, a good thing about my examples was it was very hard to, to live in denial because it was pretty obvious. Uh, you know, weeping all the time and just, you know, just looking at me when I was burnt out. You know, I, didn't, I just looked a mess. And, um, but we can learn, we can move on. There's a famous book written on this subject, um, a guy called St. John of the Cross, who wrote a book called The Dark Night of the Soul. It's not the easiest book to read. It's not the most cheerful book to read. And, um, but he talks about a number of different things. One of the things he kind of reminds us is that there's stages. It's a journey. And that might be one of the best encouragements if you're in this stage. At this point in time, it's a journey. God's taking you on a journey. You're going somewhere. If you walk hand in hand with him. And he says one of the first things to acknowledge is that you're in that stage. Not to live in in denial. It's like, this is where I am at this point in time. And that's hard. You know, I found it extremely hard going to see my doctor. I found it extremely hard just to acknowledge before my peers. You know, I was burnt off, and this is where I am at this point in time. But I need to move forward. John of the Cross, I kind of put it in there, I'm not going to go into great depth, but he just talks that God sends these things into our life to free us up, and I'll touch on it a little bit later. But this idea that God's got a reason and a purpose for everything. A verse that was quoted to me often, in some ways I hated it, in some ways, which might sound weird when I was going for the dark night of the soul, was from Romans, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him. And I know it's true. 
and I love the verse. Um, but when you're kind of going through that place, it's not always the verse one wants to be quoted at you. Though it's a good verse, and it's truth. But it's because God loves us, and he's trying to work something into our life. He's wanting to get rid of things so that our sole focus and passion is his. Because ultimately what God is interested in is our relationship with him. That's the most important thing to him. And so he wants to just so work in our hearts that that becomes the sole focus and passion and desire of our lives. You know, it's very easy to sing songs and psalms. You know, one thing I ask, one thing I desire is to know you. I think of these old songs. As the deer pants forth for the water, so my soul pants after you. It's like, God, I want you. You know, he wants more of God. You know, and we're like, yeah. Well, I hope so. <laughs> you guys in shock. Um, but as soon as God takes us at our word, it's like, you, you say you really want more of me, Paul. You, you're saying that that's all you want and you desire. Well, I'm just going to take you on a journey because this will help answer your prayer. Whoa. He wants ministry later. <laughs> he wants this to be prayed over them. Do we really want more of God? But that's where he's going to take us. So just to finish off, I want to just talk about some of the um, kind of the characteristics of being on the, on the other side. Because it can be hard to know when you're going into the dark night and when you're coming out. But we need to just keep trusting God, waiting on him, remaining faithful. Well, maybe all you want to do is to run or just stick your head in the sand. The first thing, and this is all from his book and it's there, you can have the four points. And I might just reflect on, on my life. One is a greater level of brokenness. You know, as I look back on my life, and particularly these two stages, it broke me. I'd say, still say I'm broken, but in a different way. You know, I still walk with a, with a limp. It's not a brokenness that, you know, you're, you're, you never get put back together again. But it's a brokenness that kind of allows God to be able to flow through your life and show a dimension of his beauty and his character that was never seen before. You know, God broke me. You know, particularly the, the first time, it just, I mean, I look back and I was like, I was so arrogant at university. If you know anything about the story of the, uh, the church, if you knew Martin Luther, Martin Luther was a famous theologian, and um, it was certain things he disagreed with the Roman Catholic Church, so he wrote kind of 95 false ideas, and he nailed them to a door to say, I don't think this is right and you should do this differently. Well, I did that as a university student. Uh, at the end of my third year, lessons to the, the next generation. I look back and I think, man, I was just so arrogant. And God just had to just humiliate me. He just broke me. But there's blessing in that. I think on your notes, I gave you the, the quote, blessed are the poor in spirit, but theirs is the kingdom of God. 
In Peter it says, he gives grace to the humble, but opposes the proud. There's this, the parable of the tax collector and the Pharisees. And uh, the Pharisee kind of goes in and goes, you know, God, I just think, I, you know, you must think I'm so amazing and so wonderful. And the tax collector goes in and kind of beats his chest and just goes, God, have, have mercy on me. And the Bible says, you know, it's the, the prayer of the, the tax collector is the one that God heard. Do we really want to press into it? Because there's a, there's, a, there's a joy in brokenness. There's a blessing in brokenness. How broken are we? If you want to know, and I think that Jesus is an indicator if I have the courage to face it, how easily am I offendable? How do I deal with insult? How do I deal with criticism? Am I as really broken as I, I know I should be? But if you want to progress, there will be brokenness. And it will be seen that you can use. It will bring transformation. Even now, I had a lecture this week. Somebody, because um, my work with Frontiers, I deal with workers all across the Muslim world. And somebody just wrote a letter and they mentioned the word about kind of burnout. And I just contacted them and they're like, tell me more. Tell me what you went through. You say that there's a joy and a hope that you got out of it. Tell me about that. Because all around us, there's brokenness already. If you want to speak to broken people all around us, we have to go through brokenness. The brokenness that comes through God and letting God redeem our brokenness. We want to have a message to share. We need to have a message to share. And God can bring that in us. You know, in my life, I often say I don't trust somebody who doesn't have a limp. Because of my work, I meet lots of pastors. I meet a lot of people who are in charge of major, major mission organizations. But if I don't see the walk with a limp, I'm always a little bit more guarded. It's like, you show me your brokenness, then I know that you have walked with God a deep. It's not your knowledge that's going to impress me. It's not the churches that you have planted, but a brokenness from God through which his sweet presence is now oozing. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to show. So a greater level of brokenness, a greater appreciation for the holy unknown, the mystery of God. I don't know like you, I don't know about you, but I like control. I like organization. And uh, why is that so funny? <laughs> That's just normal, isn't it? You know, I like to know where fiends are. Uh, you know, and I realize over time, however much I like to deny it, I like to try to put God in a box as well. But except God doesn't work that way. He's way larger. See, we like the box. However much we deny, like, no, I don't like to put God in a box. We like to have this idea, if I do this, that, and that, then God, you're going to do this, that, and that. We kind of have that kind of mental idea in our head, but God doesn't always do that. God, if I fast and pray, this is probably one of the most obvious examples. If I fast and pray for whatever it may be, you will restore that. You will sort that out. You don't do that. You're not working the way I think you should work. Am I just talking to myself here? And, um, and part of kind of growing in maturity is to grow in mystery. 
The longer I've been following Jesus, the more God confuses me. I used to think that God was easy. I just like, I don't understand it. I have more questions than ever. But in the same strange way, my confidence in God is greater than ever. She might think, oh, Paul, what are you on about? Just go through the war a few times and you'll start understanding what I'm talking about. Augustine, an early church father, says, if you understand, as in relation to God, it's not God you understand. It's a figment of your imagination. God is way larger than what we can think like. So we need to learn to deal and grow in mystery. Firstly, a deeper ability to wait on God. Going through the wall breaks something deep within us. That kind of driving, grasping, kind of fearful self that we need to produce something. That something has to happen. Something needs to be done for God. And, you know, this is one I often come back to. If you've ever done something called Strength Finders, Strength Finders is a, a tool that helps you discover some of the things that God's put in your life. And, um, and I'm what's called an activist. You know, I'm always kind of like... Um, yeah I just find it hard to keep still I've got ideas after ideas and things I'm trying to just see happen and just learning just to wait I find hard and to be still as I'm sure this desire to produce something you know as some of you know not all of you know you'll hear more about this next week because next week we're talking about mission uh, you know, I do do one day a week for Winchester Vineyard, but my, my main focus and work is working for Frontiers, sharing Jesus with Muslims. You know, and I'm supported by churches, including this one, and individuals. And that's a great joy and a great privilege. But also, since I find a great pressure, you know, I write these newsletters, thinking I need to keep people informed. If I haven't written one for a while, I think, what are they going to think? Is he not doing anything? I'm giving them money, you know, giving them money to go and share Jesus with Muslims. What is he up to? And it's hard, believe, believe it for me. And, uh, you know, and people ask me, when people say to me, well, what have you been up to? I kind of feel like I have to come out with a whole kind of, this is all the stuff I've been doing with, with Muslims. Rather than, you know what, I just spend the week just sitting with God. Um, did you kind of interact with any Muslims? Uh, no, I just sat with God this week. If I was more free and I was more broken, I'd find that easier to talk about. Because there's still bits in me that are God's working on. But it's hard. Learning just to wait. Fourthly, uh, a greater detachment. I don't think, I can't remember if I put this in your notes. I should better look. Yeah. The critical issue on the journey with God is not am I happy, but am I free? Am I growing in the freedom God gave me? Wow. That might be a shock to some of you who were told that to follow Jesus made you more happy. That's not the ultimate aim. Oh, there's, there's joy. <laughs> there's lots of pain. There's joy. But the ultimate aim is to be more like Jesus, to live in the freedom that Jesus had. And so part of the, kind of, the war is it creates a greater detachment from fiends and a greater attachment to God. Paul talks about it in, in scriptures about having all and yet not having anything. 
the joy or kind of being in an environment where everything was fantastic and yet still having that same joy when he was in prison. And you can read this in kind of Corinthians chapter 7 and he kind of has this like contrasting of all these great things and all these what we think are terrible things, but it's like, it's all to do with Jesus. And again, it's quite easy to, to say that, but when things start to get stripped away, it becomes harder. Because it's very easy to get attached to things. One of the hardest things in my, in my line of work, and I, when I deal with people who have been working overseas, is when they come back to their home country. Because often one's attachment is in one's role and one's work. You know, you are, to use that phrase, you know, I don't particularly like it, a missionary in this country and suddenly you're back and you no longer got that label. Often that shakes people. That's often when people work overseas, hit the wall because they got attachment to their job. That's why some of the phrases I said before, you know, when hitting the wall, it could be a relationship that falls apart. It could be your attachment to your church. So when the church splits, it just causes things to just break up for you. It can be when something physical happens to you because we, we have this natural attachment. I'm not, saying this, some of these, I'm not saying these things are bad. These are things that God brings in our lives, but it's when we let them become the main focus and passion of our life. Does that make sense? That's the, that's the, the, the crucial things. Because we, we are to live our lives experiencing joy, meeting people, buying things, using things. It's when these things become our core things. And learning to get detached from these things. And that can be hard. I was reflecting on this, and Kay and I are reflecting. I don't know if I reflect on it more. We, we've spent the last three and a half years, probably, trying to find a house, getting a house, and we're still partly halfway through it. And I'd say, wouldn't it be funny? It'd probably be about another year, I reckon, maybe a year and a half, I don't know. <laughs> if we get this house completed and God says, leave it. Ah... <laughs> uh, I'll probably mention this tonight when I know Joe's going to be here tonight. What, would it be ironic if we spent all this time doing up this building and in a year's time God says, leave this building? How attached are we to this building? I'm looking at those who got more interest in this building like Stephen. Um, but rarely do we realize how, we attach, how attached we are to something until it's removed. Then the power struggle happens with God. We complain, we criticize, we judge. But God keeps saying, all you need is me. I'm enough. And this is what the world does. It's like, we, we, we say it with a mouth, but is it real? Is he enough? I came across this a book by Charlie Cleverley. He works, he does stuff with New Wine, Vicar at St. Aldate's Oxford. He says, the fact is that finding joy and delight and intimacy in Christ is our very highest and hence most fulfilling and most beautiful calling. It's a great quote, and I think it summarizes it very well. But it's like one of these quotes that's easy to say and delight in, but it's hard to make a reality. And it's like, is that really something we want? Is that really something we desire? That our utmost joy and delight and intimacy is in Christ. Or as Americans would say at the end of that period, nothing more, that's it. Or is it other things attached? 
So the war, more than anything else, cuts out your attachment to all these things. But even deeper, it cuts to very much to who we are and what we're about. Because sometimes we're not attached so much just to physical things, but to the opinions of other people. There's a prayer I, I put here. I don't have time to go through it. This is from um, a book by an organization called Operation Mobilization, a guy called George Verma. And he had this prayer, and I remember just praying this many times. It's a great prayer. Part of me wants it to be answered, if that makes sense. Part of me is scared it gets answered. Oh, Jesus, meek and humble heart, deliver me, Jesus, from the desire of being loved, from the desire of being extolled, from the desire of being honored, from the desire of being praised, from the desire of being preferred to others, from the desire of being consulted, from the desire of being approved, from the fear of being humiliated, from the fear of being despised, from the fear of suffering rebuke, from the fear of being forgotten, from the fear of being ridiculed, from the fear of being wronged, from the fear of being suspected. And Jesus, grant me the grace to desire that others might be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease, that others may be chosen and I set apart, set aside, that others may be praised and I unnoticed, that others may be preferred to me in everything, that others may become holier than I, provided that I become as holy as I should. And so that's even a detachment, not just from fiends, but that we find our ultimate worth, our ultimate delight, and ultimate in- intimacy in Christ. I'm going to pray. And then between Laura and myself, we'll figure out what God wants to do here. I know it's a, it's a, it's a, hard, it's a hard subject. And I know for some of you, it's very real. At this point in time, you didn't need me to give you any suggestions about what hitting the wall looks like. As soon as I mentioned that phrase, dark night to the soul, you, you, you're like, that's where I am at this point in time. But we wanted to kind of give you some hope, give you some encouragement, give you some, I wouldn't exactly say tools, but just some principles, a framework to think and, and process this. So I'm just going to pray. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come. And there's going to be opportunity, and Laura will talk about that in relation to giving the game prayer. But, you know, as I look at the, the things in my, my life, um, most of my processing and moving forth was just me and God. Because God was the one that brought me into this. And he was the one that kind of just held my hand and took me through it. Yeah, there were things that helped. And there were people that kind of gathered around me at different points. But it was very much an individual thing. And so I'm kind of aware of that as we come into a time of ministry. So I'm just going to ask the Spirit to come because he knows where you're at. He knows what season you're in.